welcome to Crypto Facto with Josh and Jonathan. I'm Josh Clayman. And I'm Jonathan Ching. And we're from the global law firm of Linklater's. On this podcast, you'll hear our hot takes on some of the hottest topics affecting the digital assets and tech spaces. Of course, these are our personal views only, and nothing we say here today is legal advice, investment advice, or any other kind of advice. But we do think it's interesting. So hold on tight and let's get to it. Welcome to Crypto Facto. This is Jonathan Ching. I'm going to hand it over to Josh and we're going to talk about the issue of the day. Thanks, Jonathan. So I think one thing that's on everyone's minds, or at least many people's minds, is this idea that Gary Gensler, did he say the quiet part out loud? Um, So for a while, um, people have taken the view that Gary Gensler likely believes that nearly every digital asset other than Bitcoin is likely to be a security. Certainly, he said that in many speeches and in recorded remarks. And what people are pointing to now is this New York Magazine article, um, The Intelligencer, where Gary Gensler evidently said that everything other than Bitcoin is a security. But is that really what he said? (laughs) So we're looking closely at this article and this quote. Um, and what we can see here, and then I'll turn it back to Jonathan for some hot takes, and then you know we'll go back and forth. He does say, quote, everything other than Bitcoin, Gensler told me, you can find a website, you can find a group of entrepreneurs, they might set up their legal entities in a tax haven offshore, they might have a foundation, they might lawyer it up to try and arbitrage and make it hard jurisdictionally, or so forth. In other words, there are people behind these cryptocurrencies using a variety of complex and legally opaque mechanisms. But at the most basic level, they're trying to promote their tokens and entice investors. Perens, Bitcoin, because of its unique history and creation story, is fundamentally different from other crypto projects in this respect. Then he says, quote, they might drop their tokens overseas at first and contend or pretend that it's going to take six months before they come back to the U.S., he continued. But at the core, he argued, these tokens are securities because there's a group in the middle and the public is anticipating profits based on that group. The claim that crypto investors are hoping to profit based on the efforts of those intermediaries in much the same way that stockholders and public companies hope to see their investments appreciate over time is central to Gensler's position that, as a legal matter, These are actually transactions and securities that fall within the SEC's jurisdiction. And again, that is is an excerpt from this New York MAG article that people have been talking about. Um, And that article, just scrolling up to see who who wrote it, so I can say it's by Ankush Kardori. Um, And the article is called, Can Gary Gensler Survive Crypto Winner? DC's Top Financial Cop on Bankman-Fried Blowback. Okay, so Jonathan, did he say that? And what does it matter? Well, I mean, again, we go back to first principles as lawyers and we say, okay, that's great. You're the SEC commissioner, you're the SEC chair. Uh, you have a very you know, prominent position in the regulatory environment and you have been setting policy and really leading policy uh, since taking that role. But as lawyers, we would remind everyone on who's listening today that you know, whatever Gary Gensler thinks is not legally dispositive of that issue. That in our country, in our system, you know, courts make the law, SEC chairs don't. And ultimately, you know, it'll be up to the courts to interpret how the law applies and whether or not something is a security. The other big point is, of course, if you ask any judge or anyone who makes law, 
uh, you know, how do you interpret these things? There's no blanket ruling. It is facts and circumstances. That's the phrase that gets drilled into our head from the first year of law school and will always come up again and again. So there's no way to say that everything is a security. There's no way to say that all this stuff is a security. What he's saying is he's highly suspicious of the fact that these things are not registered and that he's going to use every means at his disposal, including enforcement and regulation, to ensure that these types of projects you know, come in, as they like to say, come into the regulatory perimeter and register themselves as securities in the United States, particularly where U.S. persons, you know, where people in the U.S. are buying them. And so, of course, this is a part of a whole kind of cascade that dates back, you know, probably really kicked off last year with the collapse of Terra Luna, the FTX debacle, all the crypto hedge fund action. I mean, there's so many things that can be seen as sort of, uh, you know, instigating this, this blowback. But what we're really seeing now is, of course, a hard push to say, you know what, <laughs> you guys want clarity? Here's my clarity for you. Everything but Bitcoin. Uh, you know, everything everywhere all at once, to quote the title of my new favorite movie. Um, you know, it, it's all security. So, Josh, I don't know. What do you think? So, you know, that was very well said, Jonathan, and I haven't yet seen that movie, but I plan to. <laughs> um, but you what should. I have, yeah, I mean, I think what we're seeing now, I, I completely agree with you. I, I do think it's important to remember that it is facts and circumstances. You know, that's highly dependent. That's not just, you know, a catchphrase. People actually have to prove the digital assets were offered and sold as securities. Um, and it's not as simple as just broad brushstroking and saying every project, you know, this is this is the outcome. What I do think is interesting about the way that he has has said this is that, you know, over time, folks had gotten pretty comfortable with Ethereum not being a security. And Gary Gensler, um, which is very different from his predecessor, um, Jay Clayton, and certainly um, the former uh the former director of Corp Finn, uh, Director Hinman, saying that current day offers and sales of Ethereum were not sales of securities. So by singling out all but Bitcoin, I think the implication in many people's minds is that Gensler is coming in one way or another, and, and the SEC may be coming for Ethereum. I do have to wonder, you know, in part, and this kind of takes us into one of the other topics, you know, that really dovetails with this, although I don't want to fully leave this topic, but the topic of staking, right? And what, what Gensler has said in the press um, just about staking sometimes looking like lending, right? And it's sometimes looking like interest. Um, and then we certainly had the Kraken um, enforcement action, the settlement a few weeks back where the staking as a service business was deemed by the SEC to involve the offer and sale of unregistered securities to retail persons. Uh, so I, I do think, you know, if we think about staking, and I don't necessarily agree um, with, with Brian Armstrong and others who say that the SEC is coming for staking altogether, right? I actually think we, we should distinguish between different kinds of staking. Um, for example, staking as a service, which even with those, we need to look at the facts and circumstances. But also, um, if you're staking your own native token, right, if you're, if you're doing native staking to secure a network, to me, that looks different from a business, right? And 
we don't need to go into the specifics of how each different business may be structured, but you know, there's different facts in different circumstances. And I think what some people have pointed out is that even different from natively staking your own token is this idea, if there's no proof of stake network up and running yet, and you are basically locking up or mobilizing or agreeing not to sell your tokens and you're getting return, does that look like lending? Does that look like interest? So I don't know what you think about this, Jonathan, but I'd love to hear it. Well, I mean, you know, again, it goes back. I, I think there's definitely a point in time where projects that pre-existed, say, you know, if you want to draw the line in the sand, it's 2017, 2018, 2019. So if you look at Ethereum, if you look at Ripple, if you look at Bitcoin, those are the, the granddaddies right they, they were there first and they probably pre-exist a lot of the, the legal thinking in the space so i continue to remind folks you know this ripple case hasn't been decided yet but it may actually be very instructive i go back to the point i made at the beginning of the show which is judges are going to be the ones who decide this not gary gensler not the you know he likes to make bold splashy public statements and and send out little videos and do all that stuff to sort of get his name out there at the end of the day the courts created howie the courts get to interpret Howie, and they will tell us whether or not something is an investment contract or not. But in terms of your, your specific question, you know, on the staking points, yeah, absolutely. It's very different. You know, DeFi and CeFi are very different in that. What they're looking at are intermediaries, the people who are coming into the middle and taking a percentage off that and saying, you know, I'm going to charge you something for this. But of course, you know, we go back to the fundamental point, which is, for most people, 99.9% .9 of the population, we don't have the tech chop to be on the DeFi protocol directly or to manage individual wallets or to transfer crypto from point to point. There's going to need to be intermediaries and interfaces, you know, APIs, things like that for, for customers who actually use their crypto, right? I can't do this. I've tried, you know, looked at some of this stuff. I can manage a MetaMask, you know, I, mean, uh, you know, I, uh, I can do my own wallet. I could do MetaMask, I could do you know, Coinbase through its interface because that looks you know, a little bit like traditional banking except that they're talking about you know, Bitcoin and ETH. Um, so I, I think what Gensler is saying is where you're actually, you know, you're charging a fee or something, I'm, we're gonna look at that. But you know, it, it, it does you know, remind me that the fundamental question is again, what, you know, what is an investment? What is this sort of collective interest and how are we looking at all these things when people are saying, well, I just wanna put my tokens out there, deploy them, uh, you know, on there. And this is helpful to grow the, grow the you know, community. So I, I don't know, but yeah, it, it's, I go back and forth on this. I see where they're coming from, you know, in terms of what they're saying. And this also probably bleeds into the custody discussion, Josh, but you know, it, it's interesting, right? Uh, where do you draw that line? Absolutely. And I, I do think also, you know, you have to think about, or at least I think about, you know, who is Gensler saying this to? Why is Gensler saying this? What what is Just the purpose? Musing of, out loud. <laughs> yeah, and and so it does make me think, and I have heard rumblings that you know, as we've seen this wave of enforcement that we're likely to see more in terms of enforcement, not just against platforms, which we've been told is coming, right? He keeps saying, come in and register, the runway is getting shorter and eventually the runway is gonna end. But I think also there is some concern that Gensler, the SEC will be enforcing against layer ones and other token issuers in the space 
um, perhaps in a way that we haven't seen previously. Because certainly we have seen enforcement against token issuers for several years, um, but it often has been where there appears to be, except for if you go back, you know, to the the teaching cases, as I like to think of them, like the Dow report or Munchie or things like that. Often there was fraud or there was some other kind of smoke around it. And I, I just think we're many expect that we will see large scale enforcement against some pretty popular names um, who have issued tokens. I think another thing, though, honestly, in my view, is that he is trying to send signals to perhaps the rest of the market, whether retail purchasers, maybe they're thinking twice about whether they should be um, purchasing digital assets, maybe to institutional investors thinking twice about whether they should be getting into digital assets if they involve unregistered securities. It does make me think um, in some ways about some of the other types of um, types of activities that are going on, as you said, um, for example, the proposed uh, amendment to the custody rule, um, which would make it a safeguarding rule. Um, for those who are not aware, we are not going to go into too much depth about this now because these are our hot takes, really. But the idea, and this gets to the point that Jonathan was saying about clarity. If people are asking for clarity, well, what could be more clear than saying everything? <laughs> Nearly everything would be treated. Um, as a security. And so the custody rule under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940, as amended, um, there's a proposal to amend that rule um, to expand it to apply not only to client assets that constitute securities or funds, but really to all client assets. And unlike the proposed change to the um, definition of exchange, which many people referred to as a kind of Trojan horse, where the SEC, some said, appeared to be trying to sneak in the effects that that change might have on digital assets. In the case of this proposed safekeeping rule, it's explicit um, in the, you know, the, the release by the SEC inviting comment. It explicitly talks about digital assets and says that this would apply to digital assets being held in custody. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it all goes together, like you said, Jonathan. So yeah, there, I mean, I guess there's a, a number of ways they could take this. If you look at the sum of the parts, right, and you say, well, we're looking at you know, the lending protocols, right? The block buys, the voyagers, the sales, right? Those guys aren't around to really defend themselves at the moment, but you know, that what they did was potentially securities activity. And so you, you know, Coinbase, you guys should stop that. And and of course, you know, they talked about registering and they talked about, you know, all this other stuff. That's one bucket. Then you have, you know, all this different, you know, fraud. And of course, Terra Luna seems to be the largest, you know, sort of repository for, for these types of fraud claims, but there's hundreds of other projects where this is, you know, at least in Gensler's view, it's a fraud on the market. So fair enough. There is also, you know, a where do we go from here? I think moment happening in the industry. And people are saying, okay, well, what are we really focusing on? What is a true, you know, store of value, creation of, you know, something that's useful. I mean, there, there was so much froth and so much, you know, hype around these things in, you know, starting in 2020, really building into a crescendo in 2021, that I think the regulators were just sort of, you know, overwhelmed. And now they're really lashing back and then the SEC is sort of leading the charge. But there's others. I mean, we've seen, for example, the states are starting to get much more active 
and drawing out a position. Um, you know, I saw New York State is getting involved in this finance Voyager thing, you know, where Finance US is proposing to tie Voyager digital uh, bankruptcy, you know, really set up a US establishment here and the states are objecting to that uh, on regulatory grounds. So that's one area to watch. The other area seems to be, you know, kind of the, the NFT stuff is now getting a really hard look. They haven't really been bothered yet, but they're really high profile projects like Top Shot, you know, where they're saying, well, actually, if you look at what went on in those markets, it looks like a securities market and except that it wasn't registered and I don't have investor protection. So, you know, if the NFT world really is, is going to be dragged into this whole discussion, then, you know, I, I don't know. There's, there is that question, Josh, like, where do we go from here? Yeah, you're exactly right, Jonathan. And I, I just building on what you said about the states, I mean, the states have been leading the charge, I feel. I mean, for example, with, with BlockFi and with Celsius, really, it was the states who appeared to bring actions first. Um, and and so it, I guess just following through, New York, as you noted, I mean, it has been incredibly active, including, um, you know, with respect to bringing actions against certain platforms that are licensed by it for not necessarily having all the KYC AML um, and related uh, compliance that, that they needed to have. I, I do think um, we'll continue to see New York taking a lead, especially since I believe the superintendent um, for DFS, Adrian Harris was appointed to FSOC. So that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I mean, I've always thought in the, the the next kind of if we have new legislation at the federal level that we're likely to see something along the lines of a stablecoin bill. And I would imagine that it would be something like similar, at least to New York's stablecoin bill, right, focusing on disclosure and reporting and reserves and things like that. I do think just going back to the custody question for a second and where do we go from here, I think a question about who like what parties are going to be custodians and what parties are going to be qualified custodians. That's a big issue. And it's been an issue for a while. Um, certainly, if we go back to 2020 and to Ocean, right, where Wyoming Division of Banking came out with a no action letter. And, you know, in connection with that, they also mentioned that to Ocean would satisfy the definition of qualified custodian for custody rule purposes. Um, and the SEC shot back within, I think, two weeks, if I'm remembering correctly, saying, actually, we make that decision, not you, Wyoming. So I do think there's a big question about who is going to hold these assets. I mean, if you look at something um, that just came out recently, uh, a final rule that was published, I believe, last week, where the Board of Governors, the Federal Reserve System, um, offered an interpretation of a, a particular section of the Federal Reserve Act. And they they issued a rule and it has two directives pursuant to the Federal Reserve's existing laws. One that the board will quote, presumptively prohibit, end quote, member banks from holding most crypto assets. And that member banks wishing to utilize dollar tokens will need to prove certainty, certain, sorry, <laughs> certain security measures and receive formal approval prior to its use in banking transactions. That's the danger of, of reading from something on a podcast. Um, so both rules cite the significant risks associated with the cryptocurrency sector with, quote, significant risks, in quotes, including fraud, legal ambiguity, and volatility. So if they are presumptively prohibiting member banks 
I mean, you would think that this new change to the custody rule would be a win for banks, right? That that would funnel people towards using banks as custodians in some respects. And yet the, the member banks of the Federal Reserve are being, you know, told that there will be a presumptive prohibition. So it is, it is really interesting um, to think about how we're going to kind of square this circle, so to speak. I will say, you know, based solely on announcements or articles that are available on the web, it does sound like both Anchorage and Coinbase did not think that their ability to custody digital assets would be affected negatively by this proposed rule change. But I mean, I think you're you're right, Jonathan. We really need to look at everything all at once. Um, and and what we're seeing in the industry appears to be um, a real moment of reckoning yeah i mean it, it probably goes back in some part to you know there's probably a view amongst you know regulators at least that some people believe that crypto you know currencies are useful and they have social utility and that they should be promoted and this is a way to develop american you know product in the u.s uh, and for our you know we have the technologists, we have the developers, we have the capital, we, you know, we have this tremendous venture capital, uh, you know, sort of infrastructure and ecosystem in the United States. And so it makes sense that these businesses would be developed here, grown here, and should thrive here. But there's, a, there's an equal and opposite, you know, maybe even larger now in this administration's view that crypto is, is really nothing but a clever scam or a fraud on the market or a, you know, it, it, it doesn't serve any useful purpose other than making certain pockets of people rich. And if you come to policymaking with that view, then you're going to see, you know, if you think everything's a fraud, then everything you see is going to be a fraud, right? <laughs> There's no way around it. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think he's, you know, Gensler and the SEC have said that you know, specifically, but I do believe if you ask them in their heart of hearts, that's what they believe in a large part, uh, with certain notable exceptions, including one of the SEC commissioners, right? Um, so, you know, it, it, when you look at that and you say, okay, well, if everything is fraud, then we really ought to be prohibiting everything, punishing everyone, and, and reaching out with all of our tools, you know, our, in our extensive toolbox to try and rein in this industry that ran amok for a couple of years. So again, I get back to, you know, what does it, what does it all mean, right? We're at this inflection point. And if the industry cannot figure out where it needs to go from here in terms of, you know, getting beyond financing into developing, you know, L2 protocols, you know, things on top of whatever, maybe there's a, you know, a different thing that we haven't even thought of yet, you know, then it's going to face the pretty existential crisis soon, I think. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that this, like, like you said, it is a moment, it's an inflection point. Um, I do think, though, if I were the regulators, I don't know, like, if I put myself in the shoes of some of the people at the SEC, not necessarily Gary Gensler's shoes, but other people's shoes. Um, I mean, I could see how if messages are being sent out, saying that nearly everything is going to be a security, and people aren't listening, and it's more of the same, more of the same, more of the same. I could see a level of frustration building up. I mean, I think that's part of what's animating all these enforcement actions um, is just that people don't appear to be listening. And I blame lawyers in many respects. Um, I think that as an industry, you know, 
lawyers practicing in this space, we have to be able to say no to our clients sometimes or to say like, look, that looks like what the SEC is saying is likely to be a security. And I don't know if that's always being done. I mean, I, I will say, certainly, there are different views and there are different types of lawyers, right? A regulatory lawyer or a deal lawyer is probably, not always, but often going to give you a different answer, perhaps, than a litigator. And, you know, it depends on whether you're trying to avoid any type of enforcement or whether you're questioning whether an enforcement against you might win. And I think that's also just something that, you know, for clients just generally, and again, just to reiterate that from the beginning, this is not legal advice, investment advice, or any kind of advice. But I really think that when, when people counsel clients, and it, it's really important to clear away the noise and try and find the signal. And, and the signal being whatever, in some sense, it partly is whatever the regulator thinks the law is. Because you should at least be able to explain that to your clients, because maybe some of them are not in a position to being able to fight to the bitter end if there is an enforcement action. And so I think sometimes when we talk about, um, you know, in the beginning, which I completely agree with what we said about saying, you know, actually courts make the law. That's that is absolutely true. Um, and things absolutely are facts and circumstances. But on the other hand, we do know what the regulator thinks in terms of the SEC. We, we do know that if you just want to stay away from potential enforcement, one way to do that may be um, to treat digital assets that you offer and sell as offers and sales of security. I do think one other thing that might be interesting to talk about, just building upon what Gensler, frankly, had been saying in, in the press as well, um, Going back months now, I don't remember exactly what month, but he did mention securities-based swaps, right? Reminding people that certain things that they think of as derivatives, they actually may be securities-based swaps if the underlying asset is a security. And so we saw this pop up, I think, for the first time in the enforcement action against Do Kwan and Terraform Labs that was filed by the SEC. So I think some important points from that, not only did they go after what they referred to as a yield-bearing stablecoin, right, but also they talked about wrapped assets, um, you know, in some cases being a receipt for a security, which I think that's really important to bear in mind. And also they talked about the mirror protocol um, and, you know, associated activities as involving securities-based swaps. And I always think of you, whenever I think of Mira Protocol and Do Kwan, no offense, Jonathan, um, but if I'm remembering correctly, you actually saw the service of process of that original um, Mira Protocol uh, investigation. Is that right? Yeah, it was yeah, Mario Marquis. We were all at the conference. There's these long escalators going up and down and they just caught him coming off the escalator. I didn't know who he was, but I heard later people had to explain it to me. Um, but it was very exciting and caused a lot of stir because he was actually speaking on the next panel and had to go on stage after having a, uh, a summons delivered to him by hand. So you know, he had been in Korea and, and this was the first time I guess he had been back in the US in a while. So they took their opportunity to, uh, to, to serve him. Um, so yeah, personal, a little personal note on, on something I think that's very important for the industry to watch, which is the continuing saga of Terra. There is you know enforcement and of course criminal prosecution going on in Korea, and they're looking for you know his associates and, and other folks to uh, 
basically prosecuted in Korea, but there's also, you know, several actions that have come out of the U.S. in relation to the various things that Terra and Luna were, were up to, and, you know, they continues to be a fascinating space to watch. Uh, again, assuming you weren't invested, in which case it's probably pretty painful. Absolutely. Well, this has been a lot <laughs> that we've covered <laughs> in this short time. Absolutely. Um, so I guess maybe we'll leave it there and uh, pick it up next time. Sounds terrific. And there you have it, our hot takes for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jonathan Ching. And I'm Josh Clayman. Join us next time on Crypto Facto with Josh Johnson.